at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept him, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and a discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. First Kings chapter three, verses five to 14. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as those that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. In today's episode, we are going to be looking at the Proverbs, gaining the wisdom that comes from above. Welcome once again to Who Let the Dogma Out, where doctrine has dominion over all of life. Joined today, once again, as always, by Jack and Titus. Brothers, how's it going today? It's going. going Not bad. Great. Going great. We, Had a... We're down to one left after this. Isn't that crazy? For I the season, know. I should say. I can't believe it. Yeah. One left ever. It's flown by. I've, I've so enjoyed being here with you guys and, and you guys having me on it just seems like we started yesterday so i know 
Yeah. I, 12 uh, at the start when we're laying it out, it's like, oh, we've got so much to get to. And you get to 12, you're like, I'm not, I'm not done yet, which we will be back. Will yeah. there'll be another break. It will not be as long as the last one, but uh, there, there's yeah, definitely I'm, more to say after this season. I'm excited yeah. to see who you guys are going to bring on as the third host for the next season. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Hope, hopefully to be you, Titus. Oh, what show was that? There was a show back in the day where they like kept rotating. It was kind of a running joke of like, who's going to be playing this guy. I, we're going to have to. Yeah, that, that's the bit. Sorry, Titus. You had your yeah, 12. Anyway. Yeah, it's nice to see you guys. Anyway, the boys. Have a good- <laughs> Daniel, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing uh, good. Just uh, um, uh, to use the words of, uh, of another man, faithfully plotting along, not not plotting, uh, but plotting just kind of got the hand of the plow and just moving forward. So it's a good way to be. Yep. Yep. All right. Proverbs. It is this week. What you got? Well, this, this is one of those subjects that, uh, that I love. And, and we were talking before the show about, um, I, I shouldn't say subject. This is one of those books that I've grown to love, especially as I'm trying to be better as a man. seems like this is just fitting. Like you want to be a better man. Go to the Proverbs. You want to be a better individual? Go to the Proverbs. You want to know how to handle issues? Go to the Proverbs. And we were mentioning that this is kind of the um, the death knell of theological minimalism. Uh, what strikes me about the Proverbs, and and it came out in the introduction that I read uh, a moment ago from um, those scriptures in the Kings, is that God is concerned not just with this, you know, the the um, the spiritual realm and, you know, the thing, the transcendent things, but he's actually concerned with ground level things. God's concerned all the way down, uh, you you know, to, to the dirt and, and how you, uh, you know, how you treat your animals and um, what, what you do on a daily basis. God, God actually cares about that. He's concerned with your, your everyday living situation and how you conduct yourself. And, um, and, and this is why, you know, our I think our podcast is uh, where where doctrine has dominion over all of life. You know, the the idea there, the presupposition we're coming with is that God does care about the things that historically we've said no doesn't uh, doesn't really matter, or no, that's not God's law, that's not doctrine, that's not something that can be bound. But we're talking about the earthy practical principles by which we live out the things God has has given us. And I think the Proverbs is that. Do you guys want to add anything to it? I think one of the mistakes yeah, we make okay. is with the people that don't want to be theologically minimalist, they they go so far in in the wrong ways. And you look at this with the Pharisees of like, okay, on the Sabbath, if you take one step too far this direction, or you know, if you read about the the Talmudic things of like all the you can't actually, you can get in an elevator, but you can't press the button on an elevator. And that's their way of like, well, we don't want to be theologically minimalist. And so let's find all these rules. And we kind of do the same thing of like, well, you've got to have a sheet over the Lord's supper and you've got to have the two songs in the prayer and like tradition becomes bound. And it's like, no, the answer to this is these practical real life things. It's not maximalizing your answer for every ceremonial law, every religious practice. It's day-to-day life. That's it. I mean, it's it's the things of God in your normal life is is the way to live this out. Yeah. yeah there's, there's a concept that I've heard some people discuss, and, you know, it's got 
pros and cons, but there's a way of looking at the Old Testament and dividing into this idea of, you know, a priestly period, a kingly period, and a prophetic period, obviously matching up to the three offices of prophet, priest, and king. And when we look at the Old Testament and we look at the law of Moses, it's very much a priestly kind of literature to where, you know, God lays out everything for them. Here's everything you do. It's like talking to a baby, right? You here, Let me give you every rule for every circumstance because they were babies. They were literally babies coming out of Egypt. As we move from the priestly period into the kingly period, this is where we get to the wisdom literature. And I think there, there's a bigger theology that maybe we don't have to hit in this episode. But the idea that I think a lot of Christians fall into of, you know what, I, I'm a servant of Jesus, I'm his slave. And so I'm happy just to be a serf in the kingdom of heaven for all of eternity. Give me my little cottage in the corner of heaven. Uh, you know, I'll live on a stump. You know, God is saving us to reign and rule with Jesus. And so as we mature in our Christianity, we, we continue those priestly concepts like the Israelites would have, but we have to move on to that kingly dominion over our life. And that's what I see in the Proverbs. The Proverbs are, hey, th this world, you know, we're taking charge as men, as, as kings of whatever small domain that we have in our families, in our homes, and we're making godly decisions. Um, that are going to have eternal consequences. And they, it's, it's, again, it's very earthy wisdom. It's very practical. Um, but it's not just about your bank account next week or next year or next generation. Uh, these are principles that through earthly means are going to bless you and your children um, for all eternity. Right. And you, you're, you're alluding to it. These, if, if you're being blessed, because I think sometimes we think, well, you know, all the blessings come after this life. All the blessings are to come later. And uh, right now we're, we're going to be this, you know, a perpetual persecuted lot. And that's all we're going to be. And the all, you know, all things considered uh, and, and despite the fact that, yes, it's it is a fallen world. There is going to be trouble. The Proverbs speak a lot to. Uh, there can actually be, if if we will abide by and obey the wisdom God has given to us, this wisdom that comes from above, we're going to have a lot better life even now. I mean, you, you, you can make yourself to where, hey, you can get a good night of sleep. You can be uh, more or less free from enemies. You can be good with your debtors. You can be good with your family. You can be good with your community. You can be well-respected in the gates. And the Proverbs speak about this, even wealth, even, you know, having a degree of prosperity. And we're not, we're not prosperity uh, gospel people. And yet there is a sense in which the Proverbs speak to these eternal truths that are baked into this actual physical creation, that if we will do them and abide by them, relative to the fool, our our actual life here now is going to be a lot better. We also, right before we came on, we were talking about this a little bit, the Francis Chan, David Platt thing in Christianity about 10, 15 years ago, radical, crazy love. They had some good ideas. Uh, you know, Francis Chan has, has been very influential in a lot of positive ways on me even. Uh, and and so I don't want to just totally run those guys through the mud, but a lot of Christians got this idea of I, I got to sell all of my stuff. We got to move to Africa. Like my whole life is ministry and and I can't, I'm not grounded here. I'm not. And and they talked very little about raising kids, about, you know, family of, of jobs and building an income and inheritance for your kids and things like that. It, it was all ministry focused and all of life became ministry. And 
you know, John Piper had the uh, don't waste your life thing and the, the couple who collected seashells on the, the shore. And that was I mean, that was viewed by millions of people saying that they these people that retired early to collect seashells, they just wasted their life. And I, I think a lot of his critique in that lesson was right. But there's also this idea that. I, I don't know that like having fun, enjoying life, those kinds of things it, are are not good enough. That's not good. That Christians really shouldn't. That it all is all self-denial. All and self-denial, of course, is a big part of Christianity. But you can be denying self on a Tuesday night at home watching, you know, a baseball game with your sons. I mean, like it, it doesn't have to be some to quote David Platt radical way of living it out. It, it can be very normal, and that's okay. And that's what the proverbs give us: is it's not all, you know, just sprinting all the time there's there is rest there is just normal life as a christian and that's okay yeah and you know i think the proverbs balance us out because you know if you want a verse that talks about the dangers of lasciviousness and the dangers of sex proverb has that proverbs has that verse if you want the verse about why sex is good and why it's a blessing of god and why you should enjoy it Proverbs has that verse too. If you want a verse about why food can be dangerous and gluttony can lead to sin, Proverbs has that verse. If you want a mm-hmm. verse about uh, why food is good, it has that verse. And so again, I see you smirking, Jack. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, I'm not going there. But what, what you're going to see I about, again- I was about to go there, but no, I won't. Don't yes, go there. Please, um, please. Yeah, don't, I've had enough. <laughs> so, but, but what, I, what I'm saying- When I say is, I've had enough, I mean of the conversation. <laughs> um, we know so, what you mean. So, so Proverbs balances us out to where, again, I think the church, as I've grown up and heard the teaching, has fallen into two, two problems that I think that the Proverbs exacerbate. One is that, again, our, our Old Testament theology, ring the bell, our Old Testament theology is really weak. And so we say things like, the Old Testament was nailed to the cross. We don't have any use for the Old Testament. And then what do we use it for? As soon as you hear a lesson on parenting, you're going to hear what brought up the Proverbs. I thought it was nailed, you know, spare the rod, hate the child. I thought it was nailed to the cross. Aren't the Proverbs nailed to the cross? Nobody's saying that, right? Obviously, we bring them out when we need to use them. But but two, again, it, it just goes back to uh, if we're only using the Proverbs, again, if the Proverbs, the only time they come out is in your lesson for why you should discipline your children, which is right and good, and that's good knowledge, you know, we're going to miss out again if we're not getting the full throated, you know, what the Proverbs are saying, because they speak to way more than just disciplining your kids. Again, it's going to approach and touch on every area of life. And I know we'll get into that as we go forward. Yeah, you're you guys are both touching on a good point concerning the uh, the balance that is found in the Proverbs there. And that having a proper balance that is guided by wisdom from God is not a thing for spiritual babes. It is a thing of spiritual uh, maturity. This yeah. is for the person who's learned the fundamentals of law. This is, you know, thus saith the Lord, and that's there. And then you get into, as you, you I think, uh, Titus, you brought up last week, instances like where Solomon had to deal with the two prostitutes and the baby. And it's like, well, what do you do there? You need wisdom from above. And, you know, James even says you need this. It's it's first pure, then peaceable, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. But it isn't going to be categorized into simple cookie cutter boxes of show me the book, chapter, verse. It's going to be something that depending on your context, depending on the circumstances and the people involved, 
it may actually, you may, you may go a different direction with it. You may behave this way or this way and wisdom's going to guide you. And one of the reasons why this is, uh, this is eternal is that the old Testament, though there is this, you know, the, uh, the the priestly um you know aspects and you know the the levitical aspects that have been nailed to the cross we we don't have uh you know we don't have the ephod any longer we're not burning incense and that and that stuff's gone and yet the old testament law was a particular embodiment of eternal truths and those eternal truths are displayed through the old testament in uh, one of my favorite scriptures in the proverbs is uh proverbs 8 22 because you see so much here about loving wisdom loving knowledge you know why is why is this so important well people are always looking for something novel people are always saying you know what's the new thing on the street what's the new way i can go the proverbs are saying no that's that's not good the new stuff's going to get you killed but but here's what he says he says the lord this is wisdom actually speaking she she's crying out and she says the lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep. So so all of this wisdom saying, I was the not only present, but I was the means by which God founded this world. Therefore, if you throw out these truths, you're not going to be able to live uh, righteously for one, but you're not going to be able to live successfully for two. Yeah. Amen. And you know, this, this has a Christian tie to it. When we read, you know, like for instance, in, in the book of Colossians, you know, Colossians chapter two, verse two, you know, we're, we want to attain to all the riches uh, of the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the father and of Christ, where it says in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so if the Proverbs hold wisdom within them, and I think everybody here is going to say that they do, then we understand as Christians, we don't have, you know, this proverbial wisdom. And then over here is the Jesus wisdom. The the, mm-hmm. the, pro, the wisdom of the Proverbs is within the scope of the person and the teaching of Jesus. That That is who he is because all the treasures of wisdom are found within him. And so we don't have an option as Christians. It, much as last week we said, you know, the Psalms aren't optional. You know, we're commanded to them. Uh, if the Proverbs have wisdom and we're searching for wisdom in Jesus, guess where we're going to end up? We're going to end up with that wisdom of God that's been there from the beginning. Yeah. So let me <clears throat> let me read this uh, this great quote. Um, this is actually from the pulpit commentary. The, he- the Hebrew, uh, the, the Jew, <clears throat> started from the point where the heathen came to a pause. So the heathen had been just you know, saying who is there a God and, and and is if there is a God, who is he? Well, the Hebrew already knows who God is. It says the Jew knew God already, knew him by his revelation. His aim was to recognize him in all relations, in nature, in life, in morality, in religion, to see this overruling providence in all things whatsoever, to make this great truth control private, public, social, 
and political circumstances and conduct. This profound conception of divine superintendence dominates all the reflections of the thinking man and makes him own in every occurrence, even in every natural phenomenon, an expression of the mind and will of God. Hence comes the absolute trust in the justice of the supreme ruler, in the wise ordering of events, in the certain distribution of rewards and punishments, in the regulated dispensing of prosperity and adversity. In such ways, wisdom reveals itself and the intelligent man recognized its presence and idealizing and personifying it learned to speak of it in those high terms, which we read of with awe in this section, seeing therein him who is invisible. Now, I mean, that's a that's a super deep uh, quote that I thought was awesome to say that, you know, the thinking man is trying to grasp how God is involved in literally everything. And the Proverbs is, is essentially the embodiment of God's mind. Here's how he thinks. If God was on the ground, this is what he would be doing. And, and you see that. So this is kind of like the precursor to Christ himself. Uh, it's just the, the you know, it's not, it's not yet with the name and the, and the, the body. It's, but it's the mind and it's all there. Well, and that's, um, there is that question of like, you'll hear people say, well, every book in the Bible points to Jesus. And so Proverbs can get lost in the shuffle because there is not that easy direct line. It's not like some of the, the very clear parallels, Exodus, even Leviticus, things like that, where you can draw it straight to Jesus. But he's all throughout Proverbs in that, number one, he is the embodiment of the wise son, the one that chose wisdom, the one that, you know, as Hebrews talks about, you know, he learned obedience and, and all of those things. But also that as our king, he has given us the, the, the keys to a life that is happy. He has not left us alone. It's not theological minimalism where it's like, ah, well, we'll do what you want. Raise your family however you want. Be a husband or a wife however you want. Act however you want. Just be in church on Sunday. Be a good person, quote unquote. No, he's, he's a king who has benevolently given us this guidance, this wisdom and I think a lot of people want to cut wisdom out of the process in Christianity. That's, as I was talking about earlier, the theological minimalism, but then the hyperlegalism is hyperlegalism is let's going to make a really long list that you've got to do all these things. And if it's not on the list, well, okay, do what you want. The liberal or the, the, the looseness is the, you know what? You can't bind it. So we're all just allowed to do what we want. Well, Proverbs teaches us, you've got the law already in the old testament this is beyond law this is thinking through the law thinking through what does god want what makes him happy what pleases him in the same way that jesus did you know in, in all things i do what is pleasing to the father and you live that out and so proverbs takes you into christ-likeness in that way yeah yeah i think i think that one, it's just so fun to think about young Jesus reading the book of Proverbs. I wonder what young Jesus read as he read, you know, my son, as he's re reading this book. Yeah. Uh, that, that's really fun to think about. But two, I think what is brought out by that quote that you you were reading, Daniel, is this idea that that wisdom is not this um, creation of man that, hey, if I go, let me go into the lab for a few hours and I'll create some wisdom. I'll conjure up some wisdom. Wisdom is this existing quantity out there. And, mm -hmm. and I, uh, I'm thinking of the book, um, The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis, I think is where he goes into this in, in the first half. Is, is the Tao, does he talk about that in The Abolition yeah, of Man, yeah. um, where he talks about this idea that it, and it gets into the conversation of natural law. But if he, he shows examples going back to, you know, ancient Egypt, Sumerian texts, all these things where it shows um, mm -hmm. everywhere, 
people kind of knew, except for the most, you know, barbaric cultures, you don't go out in the street and just see the first guy that you, you know, lay eyes on and kill him on the spot for no reason. You know, thou shalt not kill is something that is an existing quantity in the universe. Now, again, in an evolutionary mindset, you say, why not? Why not just go out and kill the first guy you see if that's advantageous to you to do that? But Mm -hmm. it seems uh, along the world, every civilization has grasped on to some ideas that that this wisdom is quantifiable. It's not good and right. Now, again, what a a chapter like Romans 1 would show us is, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. We can grasp some of this, but unless we have the revelation of God, natural law will give us bits and pieces, but it will never get us to the logic, not even logical, the actual end of what the purpose of these things are in wisdom, which is to lead us to God. You know, that's, that's what natural law can't do for us. Right. And, 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 and to bring Romans into the discussion in Romans one, I think Paul would say, that as a society uh, removes the divine element, then the the things that are inherent to us, those inherently wise things that are related to virtue and principle and morality, those are gone as well. And I think we're living right now in a society that's we're we're, we're actually moving out of postmodernism. Post, post postmodernism, you know, right, was the skepticism, people just not really knowing. I think we're moving away from that, and people are saying, okay, there's something deep going on. There is something we need. And I, I'm seeing, and maybe you guys can, um, uh, will relate to this. I'm seeing a, a broad hungering and thirsting for wisdom among young people. They, yeah. they just have been taught nothing. They've, they've been taught how to do a couple of like s- stupid things in school, but they haven't been taught anything about how to just go live life, how to be a good man, how to be a, a, a good woman, how to, you know, how to really find joy. And I think that um, people are are hungry for it and they're turning to those as interesting as it is, they're turning to, you know, people like Jordan Peterson who are really grasping at these points of wisdom and I was talking with my uh, sister uh, last night and I, I was saying, if if the church is a place where people come and they're not getting any help on the practical ground level, then why would they entrust to us the, you know, their uh, the points of doctrine or their how to be saved? But if they come in here and they say, whoa, these people have answers for me on how to live and how to be, then they're going to trust us with the other questions, the particulars about worship and and how to come to God. So I think we need both of those. For sure. Uh-huh. With postmodernism, it was a pit stop. And I think it was a tactical pit stop in that Christianity was that foundation that Titus was talking about, you know, that, that Lewis was calling the Tao, is that there's the natural law and then Christianity had been built, you know, as, as kind of the preferred interpretation of it. And those that didn't like that, got everyone to agree. Well, there's there's no way that's better than another. We we can all coexist. You remember those bumper stickers? You don't really see those anymore because that was meant to get people to seed the ground that Christianity is right. And uh, everybody can have theirs. That was never going to last. That was never going to work. And so for a couple decades, it was kind of this stopover on the way toward let's try something else. Let's let's reject Christianity and try something else. Right. And people are trying everything else and it's not working. It is making them miserable. It, I mean, that's why you see the rise of paganism, people literally worshiping Thor and Odin and people mm-hmm. going after Eastern religions. And and honestly, 
why the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic Church is seeing uh, a bit of an upswing is people going, well, at least they got something. At least there's structure there that I can I can throw myself into. But all of this is because we got away from stuff that the Proverbs teaches from real life stuff. Like you said, churches wouldn't touch the rest of life. We kept your religion in a little box and right. People need it. Right. Uh, and I, I think about, you know, you're talking about Peterson and I think about a lot of people. I know a lot of guys are like, man, I, you know, I really enjoy reading like uh, the reflections of Marcus Aurelius and, and this stuff. And, and uh, you know, if wisdom is a commodity that people can grasp at parts of, I don't think we're saying that that those people don't have anything good to say. You know, those, there's there's obviously stuff that you can glean from wisdom from sources outside the Bible. But man, what a shame it would be if we have young men go into Peterson or Marcus Aurelius and not reading the Proverbs. You know, like when we have when we have the wisdom there in the Bible, you know, not to say it's the only, you know, the Proverbs are the only place you can go for wisdom. But I mean, man, we, we've Yep. We're we're shortchanging everybody if we ignore these. And and one other thing that I just think is interesting, you know, tying my mind's kind of going here as we've been talking about Romans one. It's kind of shocking the way Romans one says you take God out and the first pin to fall is sexual sin. You know, like homosexuality. Like, like that's where that's where this is going. Like there's almost like an immediate one to one. And it's interesting that in the Proverbs, especially the first section, that this this wisdom discourse is kind of put out as like this promiscuous woman at the end of the road. Like, you know, like sin is waiting down the road and there's the promiscuous woman. Don't go after her. You know, don't fall into that sin. And And it's interesting how you know, again, sexual conversation makes people uncomfortable, but how integrally that's tied into questions of wisdom and how we live and the things we do. Well, you're, you're exactly right. I, I'm uh, I'm actually teaching through the Proverbs and uh, here in Kingfisher. And I have, at, I start the class every week and say, what are the two women that this father is teaching his sons about? And it's the woman of uh, wisdom and the woman of whoredom. Those, those are the only two that are there. And it's, it is interesting that there is, if there's a rejection of one, there's a, in, an embrace of the other. I don't, I don't know if y'all remember the song um, by, um, oh, what was the guy's name? It, the song is uh, Hosier. It was by Hosier. Uh, take me, take me to church. Yeah. Have you heard the song? Listened to the lyrics. It's yeah. completely about sex. And it's about this being basically his place of worship. And he says, look, this is the closest I can come to God. Well, as there is an element of truth there and it's, but it's been subverted when God is removed from the picture, then that divinely given gift that should exist between husband and wife. Um, it, it is essentially, um, uh, it, it lacks what made it good to begin with. Men were made in the image of God, men, men and women made in the image of God. If you're not going to worship God, what's the closest thing you can come to worshiping on this earth? A person. A human. And, I, and that's what Paul brings out in Romans 1. He says that's what they did. They exchanged the creature, the, the creator for the creature. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. They said, I want this this worship thing because it's needed, but I don't want it to be God because he has rules for me. And then everything became unhinged. So there's these two women, the woman of wisdom, the woman of whoredom. And uh, that that comes out uh, kind of nicely in chapter nine of Proverbs. 
where he says uh, um, in verse one, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. And then he talks about just this, the blessings co- that come from her. Then in verse 13, it says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and she knows nothing. And th- so those are all through the book. Those are the two women that are that are there. Which one are you going to listen to? Um, I, I want to get into some particulars in a minute, but just really briefly, uh, I, I, I meant to bring this out at the beginning. There is actually a kind of a, a way that this book is broken down. The first section is chapters one to nine, and you can read through this almost chapter by chapter. I mean, it's it's almost like a flowing discourse. It's a father talking to his son in a sermonic type way, you know, come here, listen to me and everything flows. That's the first section. Immediately after that, starting in chapter 10 and running all the way to chapter 22 and verse 16, there's like somewhere around 400 individual statements. And you'll notice there's a dip, there's differences in these. There's different flares. Some of these are just these pithy little statements that you gather right away. Some of them are, um, you know, wise little statements. Some of them are enigmas and you read them and you're like, what, what in the world does that mean? And you're meant to ponder over it, ponder over it for a while. When we're talking about Proverbs, it's not the, they're even within the Proverbs, there's a variance of kinds of Proverbs, but, but basically what they are in their essence is wise sayings. And then the third main section of the book is uh, chapters 25 to 29. Um, th- this is, uh, these are mostly from Solomon. Um, the majority of them, some believe that they're all from Solomon. But if you look at, um, for example, if you go back to chapter 25, um, it says in uh, it says in verse one, these also are pro- Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So there you've got Solomon mentioned again. He's mentioned at the beginning. But you go to chapter 30, then the words of Agur, son of um, Jaka, the oracle. And uh, he's basically all of chapter 30 and then chapter 31, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So it seems to be that maybe there's three different um, guys that wrote these, but no. they all uh, were possessed by the spirit and uh, and and were bringing that. So I, I, I just wanted to mention that just for, you know, yeah, a, I, a general breakdown. I was going to say, shout out to Agur in chapter 30 with one of my favorite scriptures in verse two. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I yes. have not the understanding of a man's uber relatable, Agur. Thank you so much. Yes, Agur, you are so, so good. I, In fact, I was going to, I was, I almost said, hey guys, let's bring our funniest proverb to the table. And because, uh, because there's some of them that you read them and they kind of make you chuckle. This one, um, Agur says, three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a young woman. I read that and I'm just like, what, what are you getting at? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I see a, I see that serpent over there on the rock and it's too wonderful for me. <laughs> I, that's one of those ones that to me is enigmatic. You're, you're, you're like, what are you getting at? What, what's the point here? And I think you're supposed to ruminate over it and think on it for a while because we we don't, this is not a feature of the way we think where yeah. you're given a statement and there's supposed to be pause and, you know, grappling. And uh, anyways, I, let's um, let's get into some some particulars of the Proverbs. The first stopping point 
which is through the entirety of the book is uh, what you read in Proverbs chapter one, uh, verse seven. Let's just go there real quick. Um, Chapter one, verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, So there's wise and there's fools. The difference between them is that the the wise man fears the Lord. Now, in y'all's experience, when people make this uh, statement, or aren't we quick to say, "Well, don't now, don't think this is actual fear. This is just uh, this is just respect. This is just reverence." How would you answer that? What do you guys think about that? That, that the fear thing is so misunderstood because a lot of people walk around in the God's going to strike me dead at all times kind of thing. And and that kind of hellfire and brimstone, which is really an, an older, more antiquated thing you don't hear of as much. But a lot of older Christians grew up in that. And I, I do think it messed them up. And so, of course, we do the pendulum thing. We go to the other side. It just means reverence. It just means proper respect for God. Well, actually, there's there's both here. And that is. If you are on the wrong side of God, there is room. I mean, it, it's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of living God. I mean, he opens up the ground and swallows people up. Uh, he, he kills everybody in a flood. He rains, you know, uh, down on Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, like awful things that there is real reason for fear. If you're on the wrong side of God, uh, Nadab and Abihu, you can think of all these things where God just struck people down. And so, yeah, that fear, I mean, Uzzah, the, a fear that you touch this ark, it's not going to end well. And so there is that fear, but you don't have to walk around with that over your head at all times. I always say it's like touching the stove or or playing in the street. I am not deathly afraid of being run over by a car while I'm sitting here in my office. If I go play in the middle of the street, I should be afraid of that. Uh, You know, I'm not deathly afraid of burning my hand, but if I put my hand anywhere near the stove, I should. And so there's the healthy fear that keeps me from doing stupid things. And if I'm doing stupid things... And, and I'm using the word stupid because Proverbs uses the word stupid. I mean, it's, it's literally stupidity is, is something Proverbs warns us against because if you're being stupid, you should be very afraid of the consequences. Right? Yeah. And I was just going to say, I think Hebrews 12 is my go to chapter on this because uh, well, you're talking about the fear of God's going to strike me down any moment. Well, that's an uninformed fear. Um, that's somebody that doesn't understand their relationship to God, especially if it's the Christian that feels that way. Um, but I, I think, again, the, the fear is real. And it comes back to me in Hebrews chapter 12. You know, it, that's the chapter where he talks about, you know, you have not come as Christians to the mountain that's, you know, you know, blazing, that's, that's you know, trembling with earthquakes, where even Moses says, you know, I, I'm shaking, you know, I'm, I, I know God and I'm shaking. But at the same time, at the end of Hebrews 12, it says, you know, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And, Mm. you know, there's so many aspects of God that I think we get at at different parts of our life, or maybe we're good at seeing this aspect of God. There's some people that have had a terrible childhood. They have a terrible relationship with their father and they struggle with seeing God as a father. And so they have to work through that. But I think it's likely that lots of Christians don't have an image of God to where they can say, our God is a consuming fire. I mean, that's a New Testament statement about the nature of God. And I think 
just like Jack is saying, when you play with fire, um, fire can be used for great things, but there's always that level of fear. It's just the same thing with, with a gun. You know, I, I, if we're just going to take it there, guns are capable of, of good. They're capable of protection for families, but you never get comfortable around a gun. You know, you never get comfortable with the point. And so, yes, God is to be feared. And I think if you were going to continue on with the theology of Hebrews, it's not that he's any less to be feared. It's the comfort and the access we have through Jesus that lets us understand, hey, is I'm accepted by this fearful God, this this God to be feared. And so I, I can have peace even while knowing that he is all powerful. Yeah. I, uh, Titus, you brought it out several ep- episodes ago that uh that interplay in um uh the lion the witch in the wardrobe when uh mr beaver was talking with was it lucy and she's you know she asked the question is is aslan uh safe and and he's like well no of course he's not safe but he's good and the idea there is he can be a terrible creature i mean he can do he he like that one the other passage he's he's swallowed up kings he's swallowed up whole empires he's profoundly powerful when we understand the grace of god we're brought in as sons and we live under him as a father does but i'll ask my kids um you know i'll ask my boys because i'm I'm explaining to them fear the lord's beginning and knowledge i'm teaching them about this and i want them to know what that means and i say are you afraid of me and they both say no i'm not afraid of you I'll say, okay, what about if you've, um, if you lied to me or if you, uh, if you disobeyed your mom or, and, uh, and I have, and I've got a spoon and you're going to get a spanking. Um, Are you afraid then? Well, yeah. Okay. So there is um, over in, uh, in Proverbs uh, eight, it mentions that the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. And the that there's there's a connection there that if you're living within evil, you're under God's wrath. Paul says in Romans chapter one, you, you talk about a consuming fire. In Romans one, he says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Is there anything more terrifying than the God over whom there is no judge or jury, who has your eternal soul in his keeping? Is there anything more terrifying? than being outside of his good graces. Because he says in chapter two, for anybody who's done wrong and wicked and evil, he says there will be wrath and fury from God. I, I try to conceive of what that looks like. Well, it's a place where there's eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, which, which by the way, little side note, God does send people to hell. People don't just walk there on their own. Because you can't get there on your own. You're sent there. So that's just a side note. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on that. But there is that element. And that keeps me in the grace of God. I'm not trembling and shaking in my boots. And yet, when I do think of disobeying, when I do think about rebellion, and if I look down at the projection that the proverb writer gives of the fool who disobeyed his parents and disobeyed God's law, that's a terrifying image. The man who, you know, he says, don't go into the prostitute. She's going to be as bitter as wormwood. You're going to be in the in ruin in the midst of the congregation. Your, your, your life, she will require your life of you. you you know, everybody who goes to her goes down to the grave. That's a terror. That's meant to grab the son and say, fear that. That's the fear yeah. of the Lord. And it keeps us in the graces of God. And this is, we can't be so quick to be like, no, God's really nice. And, and there's nothing to fear. No. 
there is, and we need to embrace it, but, but do it rightly. Amen. I think one of the other things that comes out of it, it like a part of the practical application is it's just, he's God and I'm not. And do you have that understanding, the fear of the Lord of, I don't get to decide things for myself. I don't get to just, you know, he hasn't just left me to, to live however I want to live because I, I have to reckon with him. Every decision I make, as we were talking about earlier with the, the theological minimalism, I can't live that way. I have to ask, is God okay with this? Because I don't, uh, th that keeps us in line is if this isn't pleasing to him and if I stand to be punished for him, I'm afraid and I don't want to be there. And so let me ask, let me go to his word. Let me go to the Proverbs. Let me go uh, to him for counsel. And then the other side of it of it's the beginning of wisdom. I don't think most Christians really even believe that because you think about how much pop psychology is out there, how much, I mean, even the therapy world and, and these ways that people talk that influence Christians that are just not biblical. It, it is not in compliance with, with God's word, with the way God sees the world. And we think hey, it's probably okay. Or this sounds good. We go off what sounds good to us. Well, no, if it's not grounded in the fear of the Lord, and, and I'm not saying that a person has to be a Christian to say anything that's, that's true at all, but we mentioned earlier Jordan Peterson or, or some of these cultural commentators that say true things, but the things they say that are true, you can almost always find in the scriptures, or it's an application of foundational yep. truths that are in the scriptures. And so it, the fact that they are right is because they are in line with something God already said at that point. Uh, and, and so the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, we have to grapple with that when we, the way we see the world, the worldview we take is if the fear of the Lord isn't in it, if that's not baked into the equation, we should really be careful about what we're listening to and thinking about because it doesn't hold any wisdom. If, if God is against it, if, if it doesn't line up with his word, there's nothing of value there. Yeah. Who, who, who spoke of hell more than any other author in the Bible? Jesus. 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 What, what's the rhetorical purpose of that? Why does he give warning? Why does he give the warning about the, you know, the slothful servant who, who took the talent and buried it in the sand. And then later on the, you know, the, um, the master came back and said, what have you done? You worthless servant depart from me, uh, out into the outer darkness. What's Jesus point in that? Uh, if if it isn't to strike fear in that initial, what's going to move you from disobedience into to uh, um, to true you know faith? If the purpose, I just you can't jive that. There's it is a terrifying reality, and so fear is a component. And as you said, it is it's what moves you there. And then once you're in the good graces of God, you're not scared. In fact, you're the most confident person in the world. What you become is you're scared to leave Him. I don't, I don't ever want to leave this. This is too good. The promises are too good. Life's too good. I don't want to lose this. And therefore I will continue to trust in him, uh, walk, uh, by his way. Um, I, I don't know how we're going to possibly get through all of the other points on this, uh, on this outline. Um, but one of the ones that I really want to bring out is the, the ways that the Proverbs uh, helps us at, in our families in the way that the family is structured. There's a, so much that's said about a father and a mother and children and the interrelationship that's there. And one of the things that I think is most important here, if we're looking at the breakdown of society, 
society has broken down, not just at the individual level, but first at the family. Um, as goes the family, so goes society, right? The the family broke and we need to rebuild the family. We need to do it in a, in a biblical way. And you see through the Proverbs, this um, right off the bat, here's a father. He's addressing his son, chapters one through nine, my son, my son, my son. Think about the things that a good, wise father is teaching his kids. And look at the things that the average father today is teaching his kids. Is there a disparity there? What what is going to, if we think about our duty as, as men within the home, what are we called to pass on? Uh, is it just academics? Is it is it just you know practical skills? Those things are important. But what's this father talking to his kid about? What's he saying to him? He's taking him aside, and he's he's urging. He's laying on him the weight of these eternal truths because he loves him, and that's the starting point for the family is a father who would do that. And I'll let you guys add something to that in a moment. But the other thing that strikes me is that all through this, uh, the mother is is present. So the father's giving this instruction. And then he says, you know, listen, listen to the words of your father and the instructions of your mother. So she's there. There's a team here. Mom and dad are on the same page and they have an end goal in mind. And it comes out later in Proverbs. Uh, you know, the train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. And then you get to the end of the book and you've got this, this mother that's giving these amazing instructions to her son. And there's this unit that is between father leading mother uh, completely on in tune with him on it. And they're shaping their kids for spiritual eternal purposes. Yeah. I, you know, when I think about the way our society goes today, I worry there's a danger. Well, I don't worry. I know that we have incredibly weak families. Um, and I think when I compare that to what I want most, you know, as a man, as a husband, as a father in a family setting is I, I want respect from my children and from my wife. And I don't mean that as in the, you know, Hey, respect me, respect me. I'm saying like, I want to be a man worthy of respect. Um, and I think about, you know, uh, kids that grow up. And I mean, now, nowadays we talked about the therapy world. Now the, the current system is okay. Live your life, grow up, get through school, get a good job, realize that your parents are the reason that all your problems exist, hate your mom and dad, you know, despise them and then move on with your life. And I just think about the way that, you know, in, in Proverbs again, um, you know, that, that closeness of the relationship between the father and the son and, and the fact that, you know, the father if a father does impart the wisdom of the Proverbs to his children, his sons, his daughters, they're going to respect him. You know, and, and if he lives within the the principles of the Proverbs, they're going to respect his walk. And when they see, you know, the way he's sacrificed, the way that he's laid up for his children, as the Proverbs tell him to do, they're going to respect him for that. And so, you know, again, just like so much of the Bible now, Proverbs is really countercultural. I mean, we're talking about a countercultural kind of idea about what the family is. And that that's the other thing that strikes me that, um, as you say right now, there's this hunger for wisdom and truth. We have families coming in post-COVID from all walks of life, and especially for couples that have grown up in you know the 21st century, 
one of the first hurdles we have to show them is the actual family structure of the Bible. You know, how, mm-hmm. how is this supposed to be, you know, handled out the, the respect, you know, the father and this headship and the respect afforded that and the position of the mother and all this stuff. And I think again, like you're saying Proverbs, you know, where better to go to start than to say, let's look at what, when God said, Hey, here's what the wise, righteous man, here's how he rules his house. Here's how his family looks. I mean, why wouldn't we go there to, to try to find it? One of the saddest things in the whole Bible is it's really hard to find an example of a good father. I mean, like you look at all of uh, the, you know, uh, of Samuel, you know, and Eli and Eli, his sons are terrible. So Samuel has to take over and Samuel, his sons are terrible. So Israel says, give us a king. And, you know, Saul is a disaster whose son is actually better than him. Uh, but then you have David and you think, OK, he's he's got his own family is a train wreck. You know, the, the wives he takes on and the, the, the children he has. But Solomon seems to come out OK to a point. And then, of course, that goes negative. And then Solomon has Rehoboam and, you know, that falls apart. And, and there's just plenty of examples in the Bible of there's just not that many good fathers. And so it's nice to have the Proverbs to say, look, this is how you walk through this. You take the time. And this is a sad thing you see today of how many like great ministers have kids that fall away, like their their family abandons the faith or or weak in the faith or uh, turn against some of the beliefs they taught them. And the blueprint is here. You've got to put the time in. You've got to instill this wisdom. You've got to have the conversations. You've got to be by their side in day-to-day life. You can't neglect your family and be out there conquering the world or doing great works for the church and leaving your family behind. Like this is really important stuff. And Again, because the Proverbs are a thing that we kind of dip into for a proof text when we need it in a sermon, we we really miss the spirit of what's going on here in this father, you know, father, son, especially with a parent child relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think has lended to the the lack of good fathers that you read in the scripture is how many of those fathers that you're talking about actually even had a biblical marital structure. Mm-hmm. Going going all the way back to the beginning, again, we're talking about wisdom is that which is founded in, in eternally. And the design of God that Jesus uh, reestablished in Matthew is one man, one woman for life. Imagine having 900 wives or I guess 600 and then 300 mm-hmm. concubines. I, I one time I heard a kid say, uh, so we learned today that uh, Solomon had uh, 600 wives and 300 porcupines. This is completely different imagery, but imagine having that. There's no way those kids are going to turn out well. And the same thing with David, they're, they're marrying all these women, having all these children. There's it's, it's almost impossible to manage your time properly to do what you need to do. You, you get with one woman and you two get on the same page spiritually and you give everything you've got to your kid. And, and it's interesting. The irony is that the man who wrote these things was, was somewhat of a failure in a lot of these respects. And yet the wisdom is is true. The wisdom that Solomon gave is true. And another a practical point that I want to bring out here in terms of the raising and the develop uh the development of our kids as and this this goes to uh, mothers and fathers as we're working as a team. In Proverbs 22:6 it says train up a child in the way that he should go. There is something about those formative years and having deep discussions and orienting your kid's mind toward a biblical worldview right from the start. If you take your kid at 17 and you start talking to him about some of the things that this father's talking about, it's going to be, uh, it's going to come across as um, 
like the kids can be like, where's this coming from? You know, what, why are you talking to me about this? This is, this is weird. This is awkward. Don't we just talk about basketball? Don't we just talk about sports? Don't we just talk about these, you know, the, um, the superficial things? Cause if you start talking to your kid about worshipful things of God, it's going to feel really weird to him if it hasn't been from the beginning. So start off this way, train this way. I would advise, um, one of the things we do in our family is family devotion. We do it every single night. We sing together, we pray together, and we we have a book that we read called Our 24 Family Ways. And um, every single night we learn a new family way. Um, uh, we, you know, each of them is some statement about, you know, we we honor and uh, we love and obey our Lord Jesus Christ with wholehearted devotion. We listen to our parents and, um, uh, you know, obey them in the Lord with a respectful attitude. And each of these is a statement. We go through scriptures and, and we're just training them in this. The Proverbs speak so much to this. All of this is, is, is a father uh, or predominantly a father talking to his son about these things. And, uh, this has to be intentionally brought into the home. Can I uh, can I bring up one of my favorite examples in the Proverbs of the way that God teaches us wisdom? Sure. Uh, Proverbs chapter twenty four verse thirteen. I, I can't claim this as my own. I'm I'm drawing on Joe Rigney here. He's uh, uh he wrote a, wrote a book called Strangely Bright. That's uh I think really helpful. He he falls in this Christian hedonism um line of thinking, which is, you know, enjoy life to the glory of God. And uh, he he brings up a great point about Proverbs 24, 13. I'll read it. It says, uh, my son, eat honey for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. So what's so brilliant about this is the way that God created a world that A is good and B is profitable for us. And so note the command of the proverb. It's actually a really easy command. My son eat honey for it is good. <laughs> That's a great command, right? Eat this because it's good to eat. And, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Then follow up. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. Now, the genius of this is the only way to understand this proverb is to do what? To eat honey. That's the only way that you can understand it. There's no hyper-spiritualized way that you can say, now, maybe there's someone out there that doesn't like honey. I apologize. But, you know, there's no hyper-spiritualized way to go, well, honey doesn't matter. The world doesn't matter. Food doesn't matter. It's all about the inner man, you know, in your heart. And you can you can attain it. No, the Proverbs are very earthy. You know, it's like, hey, eat of this good food, you know, eat of this honey. What you get from that, what that is to your tongue, what that is to your sense of taste, now know something that you might not naturally intuit is that wisdom is that sweetness for your spirit and for your soul, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that is just a great illustration of how, you know, the Proverbs, again, they, they draw upon these things, that wisdom that's out there and these pictures that point us back and say, hey, everything in our life that's good, you know, all the Bible says it, all good things come down from the father of lights, right? Everything good is from God. But when you really open yourself up to, like in the Proverbs, to see, hey, and every good thing that you enjoy can be a signpost that points you back to God. I think that's just wonderful. What what a great idea. Yeah. Um, to to follow up, first of all, that's, that's one of my um, favorite passages in the Proverbs as well. I quote it to the boys regularly. 
We are huge on uh, natural health in our family. Um, getting back to nature, eating whole foods. Uh, we don't get on any kind of weird, like we only eat vegetables, only eat fruit, only eat meat. We, we have a nice uh, balance of these things. We try to do um, you know, non-GMO, um, whole, whole foods, natural foods that God has created. So rather than processed sugar, we have, uh, we have honey and we make desserts with it. And the kids will eat a spoonful of honey. We get local honey here in Oklahoma. And I quote this to the kids often, God says, eat honey. It's, it's actually good for you. It's good for your allergies. There's, there's good properties within it. And it gives the instruction to do it. There's a principle of wisdom involved. And then in the following chapter, he says, he says, he speaks of honey again. He says in verse uh, uh, 16 of Proverbs 25, if you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. And so here's this, this principle of enjoy this great thing, but don't be a glutton. Mm -hmm. Like take this thing God has given. It's good. Enjoy it but don't eat too much of it. And and yeah. again, we don't like that. Well, where's the line? At what point are, are we, is it one drop gluttony uh, on the honey? <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. I just had to do it. Uh, the, the, but, point there, <laughs> the point there is he says, eat it. And then he says, but don't eat too much of it. And, and, and that, that, that principle is profoundly impactful to so much of life, right? Yeah. You, you get the person who goes off on one, like strange diet where they they restrict themselves from absolutely everything. What they usually end up doing is breaking from it with this huge, crazy binge. And then they go back to eating horribly again. He said, enjoy life, like enjoy it. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say, you see that principle laid out here in these two chapters of Proverbs. And then if you'll just open your mind and eyes, it echoes all the way back to the manna gathering, right? What's God trying to teach them with the gathering of manna? Gather enough for yourself to eat. If you gather more, you're not, you know, th these principles, again, they aren't just, you know, um, kind of these little modules in the Proverbs. Okay, here's one idea that you've never heard of before. You start to see, wow, this is the wisdom of God. He's been trying to teach people this stuff literally from the beginning. And it, it echoes from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And I think that's just, yeah, amazing to see. Yeah, I think in all of this, to the points you guys are making is I've been so big on the end of Hebrews five and, and into chapter six lately, where he's talking about the milk and the meat and you guys need to move on to meat and, and it's for the mature and it's having your senses trained as to what is right and wrong. And it is, it's not that there's a list. It's not that there's a line. It's that you need to get it in your own head so you can come to something and know what God would have you do. Proverbs is maturity training. That's why he's taking his son and saying, Hey, you're a kid who doesn't know anything. Here's what to avoid. Here's what to do. Here's how to think. Here's how to enjoy life. Here's how to work. Here's how to be a family man. Here's here's all these things. Again, not laws, principles to live by. And and so maturity is drinking deeply of these things, is having your mind trained to gather these things. And it's so interesting. You'll hear people say, man, that was that was a deep sermon. You were really preaching the scriptures today when you preach on baptism. And that's literally what Hebrews 6 says is like, can we please move on where you guys aren't always stuck on baptism and repentance and on, on some of these basic things? We need to move on to maturity. Well, what is maturity? It's the Proverbs. It's it's living lives that are pleasing to God. And it's some of those deeper doctrinal things, Melchizedek and, and things like that as well. But maturity, as he defines it there, is having your senses trained to discern right and wrong. That's what Proverbs is. And, and that's the beauty of it is that 
you can get maturity. You can come to a place where you don't have to have book, chapter, verse every time. You don't have to flip it open and go, what would God have me do? You start to understand in the same way that kid that Solomon was raising and the kids, the, the children that we've been blessed with, that the three of us are raising, we are not raising them. So at 25 years old, we're getting a phone call from them. Dad, am I allowed to see this movie? Like, I, I, you need to be able to learn the principles that God would have you learn so you can make these decisions without me standing over your shoulder. And I'm not saying we will we'll get the point where you don't ever have to open the Bible again. But that when you come to a situation, you know what right and wrong is. You know what God would have you do. You know these principles that a book like the Proverbs have given you. And, and it just helps you live life confidently before God. As you were talking about earlier, you don't have to live in that constant fear because you know you're, you're walking in the light. You're, you're pleasing God. That's a feature of the, new, the nature of the new covenant. Like you just said, where you're not having to go say, okay, what's book chapter verse here? You've, the, in, in Jeremiah uh, 31, 31 to 34, he says, you know, there's this, this days are coming when I'm going to establish this, co- this covenant. And it's not going to be like the first one. It's not going to be written on stone. It's going to be written on your heart. And you're no longer will you have to teach each one his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me. There's, a tr- there's something happening on the inside of the man where we're now living in this realm of the spirit, this realm of wisdom that knows how to operate as God would operate or as Jesus the Christ operated while uh, living on this earth. That's a feature of this covenant that we are living under now. Yeah, I think what you guys are saying is we don't need book, chapter, and verse anymore, so we can do that Hebrews chapter 4 thing, right? Where he's like, somewhere it's written. Like, it's, it's written somewhere. He doesn't even give the attribution, right? Some Someone say it's somewhere. I, I think, I, you know, that that you get to a point to where you can internalize and you can cross-reference. But, I mean, you know, if you, if you can teach these truths to your kids and you can teach them book, chapter, and verse, that's great. Better to teach it to them and actually have the principle stick, though, than, than teach them the book, chapter, and verse. I get criticized for that sometimes. If you just you don't use enough Bible in your stuff, like there's actually like a bunch of Bible allusions in the things I'm saying of like direct quotes or paraphrases of, of verses right. that are in there. I'm just not giving you the here's the proverbs. It's like you, you're going to recognize it. The more you get into it, the more I get into it. The more we can talk in ways that are saturated by the word, trained by the word. And again, this is the beauty of proverbs. Is it's so applicable it's so practical and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of funny we all have like our favorite tv shows and movies that you can just quote at any time and you know there's there's situations where you're like oh it's just so quotable for this that or the other thing so is the bible so are the proverbs of in any situation in fact uh, i've got as my phone lock screen i believe it's from chapter 12 i didn't put the reference on there because again somewhere it's written one who works his land will have plenty of bread but one who pursues worthless things lacks sense. I put it on my phone screen. So in the middle of the day when I'm supposed to be getting something done, I don't flip it open and turn, you know, oh, what's on Facebook? Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's useful for, yeah. I mean, there, there's a proverb for everything. And the more you learn it, the more, again, you don't necessarily need the book chapter verse on it. You've got that principle guiding you. I, I want to say something really quickly, because I, I think here's really the only spot to say it about the whole, you know, the, the principles and having it infused in what you say. Um, and it goes back to the the prophet priest king thing. I think in the church, we've trained ourselves to be good priests, poor kings and terrified prophets. Okay. And I'm, I know we're not priests and kings and prophets, but what I mean is, is the idea of a priest is someone who carries out the law of God. Oh, we're very good at that. Give me a book, chapter and verse. I'll do it. Kings is about, you know, exercising wisdom. 
um, you know, and, and knowing, hey, in in the areas that again aren't laid out, how do I act? We're not very good at that. And it, what that means is we become terrified prophets. We don't speak like God speaks. We're not able to have that prophetic voice because the wisdom's not there to lay the foundation for it. And I think that's a that's a yeah. big weakness that we have in the church. That that's huge. You've you've made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor, and you've given him to have you know, dominion over all of these things. This goes back to the nature of being a human is to rule, right? And the only way we're going to be able to rule well, and as you're talking about there, being almost kingly is to know what wisdom is and to bring it into every environment where we are. I know we're coming to a close here. I want to wrap up with um, one additional reason why this is uh, supremely important that we be people who love wisdom, who fear the Lord and love wisdom. Proverbs 17, 12, let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Solomon is saying it, it would be better to, you. Um, let me put it this way. A fool is more dangerous than a grizzly bear mama who just had her cubs taken from her. A fool is more dangerous. He sets greater fires and he does more destruction to the world, the family, life than than a, a grizzly bear mama. And to me, that's a profound statement. We need to be wiser. We need to bring wisdom into the pulpit. We need to train people up to be wise, not to be fools, because the danger to themselves and to everyone around them is a greater existential threat than a, a big, giant, prowling bear. I just think that's an awesome scripture and and maybe a great way to, to end off. Do you guys have anything to add? I do, but it would just keep us going. I mean, this is a conversation that could could keep going. And so I'm going to hold my thoughts. Um, the idea was proposed to bring Proverbs in heavily in the next season. I think we're going to pursue that because there's a lot here that we didn't get to of the particulars, the the specific topical things that Proverbs covers. Uh we, we've mentioned all of them, but we didn't really go into them. Family life, work and money and and all, all kinds of other things, morality and things like that. So there'll be plenty more from Proverbs uh, for sure on on who let the dogma out. Uh, one episode next or uh, next week, and then we'll be taking a, a little break for a while. Uh, I just got moved myself. I think Titus is building a house. I know Daniel has a lot of bread to bake and a lot of other things going on. So very uh, a lot of coffee to make. And so uh, we're, we're going to take a Bit of a break here for a couple months uh, after next week. But as always, um, help us out, whether it's liking and subscribing to Focus Press on YouTube, leaving us comments there, sharing the stuff that goes on Facebook. Uh, another thing we haven't really said this season, but we always appreciate is the YouTube or not YouTube, the podcast app reviews. If you listen to it on your podcast app, drop us a review. Uh, helps us uh, just it's good to have that higher rating uh, helps in searches and stuff like that. And so um, anything you guys have to add before we close the, the fool in his heart and his folly leaves a four star and lower review, but the righteous leaves a five star review. So. That's right. My yeah, son, yeah. be not of those who leave three star reviews, but five stars. <laughs> All right. We're going to leave right there and we'll talk to you guys next week. 